welcome to the American Lung Association's Tobacco Cessation Podcast. I'm your host, Anna Julio. Today, I'll be sharing with you a conversation I had with Rhonda Williams and Maria Rumhild, both from the Vermont Department of Health. Rhonda is the director of the Tobacco Control Program, and Maria is a health analyst who's working with the Tobacco Control Program. They will be sharing their experiences working with the Medicaid Department in Vermont to collect tobacco cessation utilization data within the state Medicaid program. They look at claims data, including CPT codes, which are those procedural codes. They're they're also able to look at quitline utilization data as well. So they really get a full picture of what is available and how people are quitting in the state of Vermont. And by a number of different ways, they can break that down and really look at it. I hope you enjoy today's conversation. I know I really enjoyed talking with Maria and Rhonda, and I hope you learn a lot. Thanks. Based on some of our previous conversations, um, Vermont's been collecting Medicaid tobacco cessation utilization data since around 2003. Can you share a little bit about why you started collecting these data and why it's so important? In 2011, CMS uh, delivered guidance to states that at our health department we found really helpful, and that was and recommendation to for states to cover um, those who are pregnant by Medicaid. So we took that guidance and in and meeting with our Medicaid, you know, not yet partners because these were um, these were new colleagues, but to explore what that meant to them. And while we did that, we asked ourselves, could we look at that data? And our Medicaid colleagues hadn't yet looked at, oh, what does it look like for our pregnant beneficiaries? So we started um, assessing that. And, you know, in thinking in terms of more broadly, um, how could we assess and then describe what we anticipated is a, a, a great difference or differential between the smoking prevalence of those who are privately insured um, compared to those who are Medicaid insured. And, and so we, over time, in, in meeting regularly, so that sometimes is weekly and that is sometimes quarterly, always quarterly in person, but often more frequently via phone and email, is um, let's let's start compiling the data so we can describe the problem. And in doing so, that helped to generate, I think, an agreement and momentum for looking at the benefit itself and the promotion of the benefit covered not just by the state Medicaid agency, but also importantly, by the state itself through our quit line, through our quit online, and any other mechanism, including grants to partners that all together can contribute to increasing cessation activity and reducing prevalence over time among Medicaid insured. That sounds really great. And it's awesome that you had such a great partnership and started such a great relationship with your state Medicaid program. What came out of some of those frequent meetings that you were having? We often brought data to each meeting and it took us a while to figure out the rhythm to do that, but I think it was helpful for solidifying and creating a culture that we're constantly looking at data, performance management, 
monitoring was becoming more and more the norm at the health department as part of an agency of human services expectation that we do that. And also, I think it helped us realize as staff at the health department that our Medicaid colleagues didn't have necessarily analysts as part of their own staff. They had some but they really relied on contract or contractors to supply their data. So every request that we made had to be done carefully and thoughtfully. And um, our, our analytical support, uh, you know, as my, my colleague here, Maria, can attest to, really um, helped to hone those uh, data requests and the use of that data so that it met everybody's expectations. So, so we learned that along the way, and we also, um, I think in order for us to assess impact of our interventions and our strategies was what was valuable for Medicaid? What would they count as success? So that took us a while to figure out. But one of the ways we did that is our state medical director said one day, three years ago or so is, you know, we really need you to present this as a rate of 10,000 uh, because that's how we um, compare apples to apples in our decision making. Um, and so we went back um, and added that to our Medicaid dashboard, which, which Maria can, can describe and how we put that together and what types of data we look at. But that was instrumental. Um, it was a it was a big shift for us as a collaboration, and that we're looking at data that means I think um, as as much as we could the same to about twelve to fifteen people around the table at the same time. I'll mention that several of the of the I think thrusts of our um, work since twenty twelve has been using uh, the evidence base, so coming from the CDC Best Practices Guide, that in 2014 when it came out, similar to many of, of any Medicaid-related or best practice-related findings that we think our Medicaid partners will be in, in you know, in, if not invested, at least curious about, we sent those before the meeting so that we kind of prep the thinking around what we want to achieve. And that, that the two focal areas we determined were, let's make the, the benefit as comprehensive as possible, as accessible as possible, and promote it. And so then the data started to expand beyond CPT and NRT data to also include how's our, how are our Medicaid campaigns doing? What about our, our Medicaid-specific benefit promotions? Uh, we use broadcast and digital to do that. We also looked at uh, policy measures, including expansion of who is considered to be a, a provider. And, that, and so we, we worked for that to be a tobacco cessation specialist. We defined it. We put it into the state plan. Uh, so that we, we knew that the, the circle of support, so to speak, in our state could be as broad as possible. You know, providers, nurses, advanced practice nurses, um, those in addition to our, our, didn't have to be certified, but had to have eight hours of training to, 
to warrant being able to seek reimbursement under the CPT code. And also on our quit line, when we assessed how equitable are we in our benefit for Medicaid, we found that we had work to do too. So we um, expanded our, our benefits through 2012 and 2014 to be as accessible 24-7 for it to be the NRT to be delivered as quickly as possible and um, to change what had been a barrier where we had previously required those who are Medicaid insured to basically not receive counseling or NRT from us, but to seek it from their provider. I'm sorry, they could they could receive counseling, but not the NRT benefit. And we decided that's, that's not being equitable to those who are seeking our services. So why don't we work in tandem? And we did see an increase in cessation activity over time due to changes like these. Sounds like you guys have done so much with these data and really kind of looked at it from such a holistic standpoint. What you described, Rhonda, seems like a very seamless process, but I can imagine that behind the scenes, there were a number of challenges that you guys experienced. So I'm just curious kind of what some of those challenges were and how you overcame them to really have this really robust data set and this really comprehensive approach to tracking this utilization data. And I can speak to that um, in terms of getting and maintaining consistent data reporting requires ongoing attention. In Vermont, we have the possibility of getting Medicaid data through three potential different routes, and they vary from receiving aggregate data directly from an analyst at Vermont Medicaid to assessing line-level medical claims through Vermont's all-payer medical claims database known as VCARES, or um, lastly, assessing full Medicaid eligibility and claims data directly through Vermont Medicaid's data management system. For each of these pathways, they have potential advantages and disadvantages, and depending on the specific project at hand and its data needs, we use the most appropriate route of access. For this work in monitoring CPT and NRT claims utilization, we've chosen to work directly with the analyst at Vermont Medicaid, and they provide monthly or quarterly updates on our key data measures and a yearly reporting of unique users of these benefits throughout the calendar year. To develop this process, the Vermont Tobacco Program established quarterly meetings with Vermont Medicaid, as Rhonda has shared about, to discuss shared interests, strategize activities, and review CPT code use data and claims data for tobacco-related pharmacotherapies and to make data-informed decisions. In this process, the need for a data use agreement should be assessed. In Vermont, if receiving only aggregate data, no data use agreement is required, but we also receive line-level data by provider type, and because of this, we did establish a data use agreement to share these data. If we uh, are accessing claims data directly through VCARES or Medicaid's business objects platform, 
we work with the data managers to complete all necessary applications, affidavits, agreements for access and data safeguarding. To receive our routine monitoring data, uh, we do work directly with Vermont Medicaid leadership to establish the appropriate pathways to work with the Medicaid analysts and to help set priority levels for these data requests. For the CPT code monitoring, we work with their clinical director. And for the pharmacotherapy usage, we work with the executive director of pharmacy. Our general process is that the Medicaid analyst runs the query according to our established methodology. They then send aggregate data to the Vermont Department of Health. And then the I as the analyst or and the tobacco evaluator will work, will review these data and add these results to our data dashboards and monitor trends. These data are then reviewed by the Vermont Tobacco Control Program and discussed at our monthly evaluation meetings. Then a summary of the data trends in addition to quarterly quitline data are shared with the Vermont Medicaid at our quarterly meetings. Late in summer, uh, the Vermont Department of Health and Vermont Medicaid come together to review these data and set measures of success for the year ahead. Some of the challenges that can come up in this process is certainly um, changes in personnel or vacancies in positions can disrupt the flow of these processes and cause delays. And um, our reporting measures are updated to align with best practices and policy changes. Uh, for example, CPT code usage for counseling by dentists were added to our dashboard in 2019, and we will soon be adding counseling claims by pharmacists as that is approved for our uh, state as well. Additionally, when working with uh, these data, there's uh, so many different perspectives and factors that may affect the data. Uh, policy changes that happen at Medicaid or at the state level, uh, the changes in media promotions that the Vermont Department of Health might be doing. Uh, it is so rich and valuable to have all the expertise from different uh, perspectives come around the table and to look at the data and to share uh, details from their um, particular subject matters that will help us understand the data better and to strategize future activities. And uh, Rhonda, are there other things you'd like to add to this? Well, I, I agree that um, to, to overcome some of the challenges at least, the meeting frequency does matter. I think from the perspective of other programs, uh, there have been comments over the years of why do you meet so regularly? But what we found is that we could address more timely uh, any of those changes in data that we were seeing at the quarterly or at the you know half year mark. So as Maria mentioned, when we started to see this downward trend when not expecting it uh, in the counseling, we realized that a change, which was a good one, it was a removal of an obstacle or a barrier in uh, requiring um, 
a beneficiary, Medicaid beneficiary, to see their doctor in order to receive uh, NRT. When they remove that, then that could also influence or decrease the CBT code utilization. And so while maybe not ideal, we also, though, acknowledged and I think at least somewhat celebrated that, hey, another, another barrier was removed. But we also saw a change in our, in our CBT code data. So meeting frequency. Um, the other piece is that in bringing different types of data around, throughout the year, I think helped us to round out our perspective and bring in different people around the table. So one person who's been instrumental, she's not always active throughout the year, but because we use the um, apps data that Medicaid as a state agency uses across the boards. So it can use it for tobacco, it can use it for other, other areas of interest. But for us, the CAPS data and the questions that look very similar to what we ask um, on our adult tobacco survey. Isn't that right, Maria, where we're asking in terms of your uh, having seen a provider, did that provider ask you about your tobacco? Did they provide, uh, assess and, and intervene with a, not intervene, but provide a cessation intervention? And so... We have been able to use the CAPS data and see um, where improvement is occurring. And that's a nice feedback loop. So that Medicaid, when we're talking about um, promotion, we can say, Medicaid, what areas or what, what leverage points do you have, like a Medicaid banner, a Medicaid advisory, or and even picking up the phone to talk to a provider who appears to be not performing as much CPT or NRT activity as guidance would um, suggest, those strategies can be reinforced by use of that CAPS data as one example. So again, that meeting frequency allows for us to bring in all sorts of different uh, data types and discuss them. And then I think lastly is Kind of going back to what do you communicate in between those meetings? We, I've forwarded um, articles related to um, findings on tobacco-associated medical costs. I've also forwarded U.S. Surgeon General's reports on um, guidance youth young adult vaping. Forwarded our media. So the ads themselves to our Medicaid colleagues, and they always enjoy that, asking for their feedback even before something is finalized. All those, all those different types of communications around what we're doing as a health department, as a tobacco control program, I think help them feel that they, and they are valued colleagues, um, because inevitably they will have a question or an insight that um, helps improve our work. So we've talked a lot about data collection, and it's kind of a broad, ambiguous term. Obviously, we're talking about tobacco cessation treatment in the Vermont State Medicaid program. But Maria, maybe you can kind of speak a little bit more to the specific pieces of data you're looking at, and if you've been able to see any trends in those data. Yes, uh, we now have data complete 
from 2013 through 2020 calendar years and early data from Q1 of 2021. Um, the data typically has at least a three-month delay. The data, is, as we mentioned, is recorded and monitored on our data dashboard for Medicaid. The medical claims data for CPT use for tobacco cessation counseling are broken down by uh, counseling for individual counseling, group counseling, and counseling provided by a dentist. And in the future, we will uh, be seeking to add also counseling added by pharmacists when that is approved for the state. Uh, these data include claims per quarter and claims total number of claims annually, the total number of unique recipients, the claims per recipient, the rate of claims usage um, among all Medicaid beneficiaries, and then we look at the total claims uh, used among uh, women who are pregnant and smokers, as well as how providers of specific uh, provider types such as family practice and general practice providers and OBGYN providers use uh, these counseling cessation codes. We also look at the cost of paid claims and the cost per recipient. Uh, similarly, for pharmacotherapy claims, uh, we break those data down by product type for bupropion, Jantex, NRT, looking at specifically the different types of NRT that are available to use. And similarly, look at the um, number of pharmacy claims per quarter and annually, the unique number of users, uh, the claims among women who are pregnant and smoke, the average number of days that a user may be on therapy, and also the, the cost of these particular therapies to Medicaid. We review these data uh, in addition to other data from our quit line, roughness, our adult tobacco survey, PRAMS, vital records, births, uh, to full, more fully describe and understand tobacco use, beliefs, knowledge, and quit behaviors. In terms of trends, we have uh, observed that since the start of the cessation counseling codes in 2013, the number of recipients of claims using these codes has increased in part with the Medicaid expansion that occurred in 2014-2015. Use of these codes in Vermont peaked in 2016, while the, the total number of recipients of those claims peaked in 2016, while uh, the total number of claims for counseling peaked in 2018 and has been decreasing over the last two years. Also, in looking at trends, we've observed that the average number of claims per recipient has increased from 1.1 to 2.3 between 2013 and 2018, and we've been able to monitor the uptake in use of the cessation counseling code by a dentist since its activation in 2018. Uh, we also see 
what I refer to as the New Year spike in our quarterly data. And when we look at the cyclical use throughout the calendar year, we do see an increase in cessation activity around New Year's. And then that tends to um, decrease as the year goes on. I was just going to add. And so along those trends, we decided to publish an infographic to capture uh, the trend of an increase in the quit ratio and a decrease in the smoking prevalence among Medicaid insured. And that was published in January of 2020, right before COVID hit. That's great. I can add that to the show notes so people can see it. Great. And looking at the data, so while we have seen encouraging trends and also some decrease in an overall CPT usage in particular over the last couple of years, I would say a really valuable um, use of the data has been in being able to get an idea of what we wouldn't see without this data. So as one example, in working closely with our evaluator as part of our Medicaid team is what Maria spoke to as provider type. So we've looked at provider type and NRT use, provider type and CBT code use. And we saw that there are lower rates of cessation, what we imagine as cessation activity, which we can also see somewhat reflected in our breakfast data when broken down geographically, that tells us we need to increase cessation activity in certain areas of the state. And that by working more closely with those providers, the PCPs, the OPGYNs, the general practitioners, and even including our opioid management, opioid management specialists, that we, we anticipate that over time, we can address some of those gaps. Medicaid did do an, its own retrospective analysis of NRT utilization or prescriptions and has done some quality improvement on varenicline in particular as part of our Medicaid collaboration. And we are in the planning stages for our next fiscal year on provider engagement and using the CPT code uh, NRT data in particular for reaching out to providers in particular. But in the past, um, we have found it to be helpful to purchase lists from a business that provides uh, email addresses of all um, licensed providers in the state of Vermont. Uh, in Vermont, most, if a far majority of providers take or treat Medicaid beneficiaries. And we craft email messages together with our Medicaid colleagues. And then these emails are sent out by our commissioner. Um, sometimes they're joint with the commissioner of our Medicaid agency along with our health commissioner. Sometimes they've been specific to nurses and have been signed by our lead maternal and child health director, who's well-respected in primary care and OB, by the OBGYN community. And we have a detailed list of what each of those email packages have focused on and what the results have been, in case anybody's interested in that. 
I think you've spoken a little bit to some of this already, but can you, is there anything you want to elaborate on on how collecting these utilization data has helped further the goals and the work of the tobacco control program in Vermont? That's a great question, Anne. I think that the data provides a, a both an informative you know, collection of what is going on in our state and a kind of a, a, a neutral way to do it. Um, data, data speaks for itself. And so what we've been able to do over time is to think together um, around what else can and should we be doing. So several examples of that, um, and it's work still still underway, is expanding um, cessation, recognized cessation providers. Uh, and so that includes pharmacists. And this has taken at least four years of effort. And I'm pleased to say that just today, the Vermont Board of Pharmacy approved our proposed tobacco treatment protocol um, which will now go to the Commissioner of Health for approval. This took a lot of effort uh, and really buy-in, but the buy-in was um, aided by the data in the CPT code and NRT. So, so we are excited by that, adding dentists, adding pharmacists, and adding other types of providers in the behavioral health community is really important. We ha- were part of... I would say recognizing the Department of Mental Health request, so basically bringing the data to Department of Mental Health and Medicaid together, uh, and asking you know Department of Mental Health what is important to you, what would help your population, the population you serve, you know over fifty percent or more of those that of individuals that are served by our Department of Meta, you know, Mental Health are Medicaid insured. So it's a win-win situation if we can improve wellness, improve health, reduce anxiety and depression among this population. And they've put in a request for expanding provider types um, that can use cessation codes. What we found though is that there are other roadblocks that need to be addressed. And this may take us several more years uh, to do this work, but again, the CPT code utilization and who can you who can seek reimbursement through those codes and who can't. So the who can't, some of these challenges are related to these different funding streams that need to be reconciled. So when we go back as a state to update a waiver, when we go back to update master state grants to behavioral facilities, uh, we need to have consistent language for substance use treatment that also includes tobacco. So it's not a hard choice for a provider to make if they are recognized. It is that um, as much as possible, it's inter, interwoven so that tobacco can be right in there with other substance in, in their treatment. So that's some of the longer-term work that we're, we're doing. You guys both have talked a little bit about seeing different spikes in the data um, in terms of individuals using tobacco cessation treatment. Are there anything that, is there anything that you're doing behind the scenes to help prompt that or... Um, what have you learned kind of around where those spikes are and where they're not? 
we would love to know the magic um, and being able to create as many spikes as we would like and have the funds to do it, but we're, we're not there yet. Uh, so what's interesting in looking at the CPT code um, and the, the patterns in there that Maria was talking about, the New Year spike is so prevalent, January and even February, sometimes being higher than January. In, the, in our quitline data, we see different spikes. We see influence of our, our campaigns, but we also see, um, and this was really interesting during COVID, is a really strong, the strongest increase we've ever seen on our quit line. Uh, we've been monitoring that month by month for many years. The strongest increase we've ever seen, March uh, 2020. And we also saw a, a strong spike in our quit line data when our commissioner in the, I believe it was in early fall of 2020, um, spoke directly to the message that it's never been a better time to quit and mentioned 802 Quits, um, Vermont suite of free cessation services, and uh, we got a really nice bump there. You know, going back to how I think our Medicaid initiative got off to such a strong start was that our tobacco program budget had more funds at that point, sufficient enough that we could take $80,000 and send direct mail announcing these benefits to Vermonters, 80,000 of them, um, 18 and above, that uh, we worked closely, uh, got those addresses from our state Medicaid agency, and then sent them, sent each household a really nice package. We did that for two years. And, uh, you know, it'd be interesting to do that again if we could secure the funding. Because I think for people to receive something personal about a benefit that's available to them that can improve their overall wellness and health can, I think, still probably make a difference today as it did early on in this initiative. So we'd like to, to do more um, exploration, fine-tuning, and publication around our work because we've benefited from other states publishing and what they've done. Kudos to Massachusetts. They helped us a lot being able to establish our work in our state, and we'd like to continue to contribute to the field. And adding to our work around examining trends in the data, uh, as we work with Vermont Medicaid and our leadership to try to remove barriers to using cessation counseling services and pharmacotherapy, uh, COVID has also had an impact on use of these codes. And although there have been efforts to uh, increase use of, of of web-based meetings uh, with uh, care um, providers, we have over the past year seen a, a decreasing utilization of these services, and we are in the early stages of trying to understand what has happened to cause that and what factors might be um, at play with that. And I would say that along those lines is that while there was a lot of discussion and dissemination of telehealth as um, a way to reach individuals with medical assistance and care, we haven't yet looked at the data, 
whether or not Vermont medical providers use telehealth for uh, tobacco cessation. So if we can, we will look at that modifier and see if there was activity. And if, you know, if, if not, then to promote that as well. We did start to promote it during COVID, but it was through Taylor Digital and, uh, and not, not much money. So we would seek to increase awareness and activity uh, and hopefully utilization in telehealth for purposes of reaching people and helping them to successfully quit tobacco through that means as well. Rhonda and Maria, this has been wonderful. I've learned so much and you've given us so much information. I have one last question. What advice would you give to other state tobacco control programs who are looking to collect these data on tobacco cessation treatment utilization in their state Medicaid programs. Um, Are there any helpful tips or tricks or just kind of general advice that you'd be willing to share? From the data perspective, I'd encourage people to learn about how your state manages and works with Medicaid data. What is their process for data management? What is Medicaid's process for data analysis? Are there analysts within the Medicaid office with capacity to assist or provide guidance on methodology, uh, and then to determine how best to access data given each state's protocols and processes, and to determine what works best for accessing the data, whether it's Medicaid sharing the results or obtaining direct access to the data. And in that, to consider whether a data use agreement is needed And then lastly, to look for opportunities to discuss results with Medicaid leadership and other partners to deepen the understanding of factors affecting the strategies that um, are being used and results. Yes, I would say that that is uh, spot on, Maria, and that you can take advantage of bringing your your outreach and your work, even and your struggles, to your commissioner or to your deputy commissioner or someone who may already have an established relationship with the state Medicaid office um, to help bridge if you're struggling in developing that relationship. I know that our commissioner really appreciates an occasional update around how is it going, anything I can help with. And I will say that um, finding out what's valued and valuable to your Medicaid colleagues, even if it's just one thing, and building on that one thing uh, can be extremely helpful. We have found that to be a really useful strategy. One of those is uh, incentives. So the whole realm of contingent management for behavior change is an interest of our, our state medical director for Medicaid and also our commissioner of health. So we are trying to use the data to leverage resources that eventually will be used by our state Medicaid agency to be able to use incentives like we are on our quit line to generate behavior change, smoking cessation, and sustained quit outcomes. So just this year, we um, started a new incentive on our quit line for those who are Medicaid insured and uninsured that are up to $250 in benefit and that um, we're seeing some uh, real robust response. And we'd like to be able to do the same among the, for the benefit that the state Medicaid um, agency offers for its beneficiaries. So more to come on that. 
Great. Thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today. Thank you for listening to today's conversation with Rhonda and Maria. I know I really learned a lot. A couple things that really stood out to me was the fact that you need to think about how you present data. One of the things I thought was really interesting is needing to present it in a way that made the data comparable to other Medicaid data. So that I thought was a really important thing. Another thing I think that has been really important and was really interesting that we learned today was really the idea of needing to have frequent meetings and really building those relationships between the Medicaid department and the Department of Public Health. And I think the third thing that was so important was that having so many people around the table really allowed that data to be digestible and really understanding what the utilization of tobacco cessation treatment meant in a broader context. I know Rhonda mentioned the infographic they're working on, so we'll make sure to link that in show notes. Thank you so much for joining us today, and we're looking forward to seeing you next time on the American Lung Association's Tobacco Cessation Podcast. Thank you so much.